We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. It's good to see you today. My name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus, and uh, if you're a guest with us, welcome. It's a joy to have you with us. We would love to meet you Um, after the service. I'll be down front right here. We'd love to to meet you. We'd love to pray with anyone that would like prayer. We'd love to talk about Jesus with anyone that wants to talk about Jesus and uh, would be honored to do so. So come find me. If you're a guest, you could also stop by the Connect table in the lobby. Uh, There you can fill out a Connect card to get more information about our church, or you can go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. That's EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. You can get more information about the church there, do a digital connect card, all those types of pieces there as well. But if you're a guest, it's a joy to have you with us. Covenant members, love you all. Um, Remember to, uh, if you're not signed up for our weekly newsletter, to do that at EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. And uh, and by doing so, you'll get all of our announcements every Monday. Women's Bible study, men's Bible study, women's retreat, um, study through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the seminar on uh, Christian, the theology of Christian living, um, a lot of different things coming up in the months of April and May for you to be a part of for your growth. And so make sure that you all are doing that. And then one more announcement, we have coming up uh, the first week of May, I believe it's May the 5th, we have a members meeting that Sunday night. At that members meeting, we'll be welcoming in new members. We have around uh, 25, 26 new covenant members uh, that have applied for for covenant membership that we're in the process of uh, meeting with right now. So we'll be voting them in in the week before that, as well as voting on um, elder candidates the week before that. And so if you're a covenant member, make sure you're watching for those opportunities. If you have not yet gotten to spend time with Patrick or with Ben um, or, um, or or the pastoral candidates, <laughs> who did I forget, or, <laughs> or Tyler, I was like, wait a minute, well, a name just slipped my mind, um, and, uh, or Tyler, I kept wanting to say Sean, but I don't think we have a Sean pastoral candidate, if your name's Sean and you want to be right now, then I guess maybe in my mind, yeah, you are. Um, but if you want to meet with one of these guys and, uh, and get to know them and have conversation with them, uh, just to know them a little bit more, that would be wonderful for you to be able to do that. So reach out to them. They would love to do that with you. Hey, I want to invite Mike and Paige down front. Um, many of you know Mike and Paige Brooks. Uh, they have been members here for, what, six years now? Yeah, going on six years. Um, Mike and Paige have served in many different ways at our church. Uh, Mike has been a community group leader. He's been director of community groups for a while. He has served in various different ways in kids. Paige has kept kids flowing and check in and check out in different ways on our communications team and media and a lot of different ways that they have served our church. Uh, And today's their last Sunday with us as they are heading to the Northeast um, to do ministry, to to pastor. And so I want Mike to tell us about where they're going, how we can pray for them, and then we're going to pray for them and send them out. Yeah, well, thank you, everyone. Um, My name's Mike. This is Paige. Um, We uh, moved here from Georgia at the very end of 2015 and uh, joined Emmaus in August 2016. And uh, so we've been here five and a half, six years and have uh, loved every moment of it. We decided early on that we would sort of bring ourselves out here uh, as faithful members and jump in and serve as much as we could. And so maybe just some encouragement, too, on our end to you uh, to do the same. And so found ourselves in a lot of positions we didn't think we'd be in, um, but all of it was a joy. And uh, so by God's grace, that's what we've been doing for the past five and a half years. Um, found two on the other end of that, that there were people in the church uh, similarly ready to ring themselves out um, in love toward us. And so we've been grateful for that, have had an amazing 
uh, community group that's gone through several iterations over the years, um, uh, but just people who have celebrated our high highs with us and our low lows, and it's been just a tremendous joy to be uh, just a part of this church and to be loved and to love so well. And so uh, thankful for you all, uh, even those we haven't quite yet met, we'd love to connect before we head out. Um, but yeah, uh, week from tomorrow, headed into new things uh, for over a decade. I've had this uh, desire to serve in the Northeast, to be in New England, uh, where access to faithful gospel teaching and gospel churches isn't as uh, readily available as other parts of the country. And uh, we knew coming to Kansas City that the possibility of going there was on the radar, on the horizon, but didn't know how or when that would happen. Uh, last summer, a position opened up at a, an established church in Boston. And uh, so in Cambridge, and uh, it was an associate pastor opening, and so through last fall, was able to engage in an interview process with them, and then uh, preached in view of a call in January, and then uh, end of January, the church voted me in as the new associate pastor, and so we have been scrambling to pack our things up, and uh, seminary students don't buy many books, just tell you that, and so uh, <laughs> it's been a, a, a bit of a, a jaunt to, to kind of pack everything up, but we're headed out a week from Monday. Uh, the church is an incredible church, Hope Fellowship Church in Cambridge, um, and so there's a couple of ways that we would ask for prayer in that. There's an amazing pastoral and eldership team there. Uh, we've gotten to meet several of the members, and so that was a good time for us. Um, but uh, ways you can be praying for us in the months, years ahead, uh, ministry opportunities are everywhere up there, and you probably uh, realize that or think that about that area. Uh, but we're several blocks from the campuses of Harvard and MIT. And so just everywhere you look, there's opportunities for gospel ministry. Uh, so that would be part of it. Pray for the church. They've been around for 20 years now and are very established and healthy, but we want that to continue. And so just pray for our relationships there as well. Um, pray for us as a family as we seek out opportunities to foster and adopt. We've got to get that going once we land on the ground there. And so we're excited about that. And then um, what feels kind of like a weird prayer request, but I, I selfishly ask, uh, just pray for deep friendships for us. Um, so when we get up there, it's a very transient environment, and so we know what we're walking into. Um, but we're just hoping that on the other side of this, that the Lord is preparing hearts there to, uh, to knit with ours and that we could uh, establish some deep friendships. Um, it's kind of weird shifting from the vacation to life in Boston mindset. And so um, we're uh, looking forward to it. Um, but we love you very much and just appreciate your prayers. And we'd love to meet some of you guys who uh, we haven't met yet after this. So I took more than a minute. That's my yeah, bad. That's, you're a preacher, man. That happens. Um, Paige, did you want to say anything? No. Okay. You sure? Okay. All right. Um, guys, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving our church. Uh, I mentioned on social media this week, you announced that you were moving, and, and I mentioned something about that um, in my life as a pastor, 21 years as a pastor. Uh, I don't know that I've seen more faithful church members than the two of you. And so just uh, I've been deeply encouraged by you. My wife has. Our church has. So thank you for loving our church well. We're really excited for Hope Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And like I said a moment ago, we haven't commissioned you yet. You can still change your mind and stay here. Um, if you want, but you're, there's, okay, they're set. Um, I just gave them the out. We haven't prayed and sent them yet, but now we're about to. This, this is something we do at Emmaus often. Uh, we call them gospel goodbyes. Uh, and they're, they're sad, and we, we, we weep, and there's people that uh, miss deeply, but it's a joy to get to send our members out for the sake of um, seeing churches multiplied in the name of Jesus declared. And so if you're a covenant member, what I'd ask for you to do is to reach out your hand as a blessing in ascending. I'm going to pray for them, and then we will jump into our sermon. Jesus, I thank you um, for Mike and for Paige. I thank you for their love of you and their love of the church. And I thank you for blessing us with their presence and with their care and with their friendship um, and with their service for the last uh, six years. 
Father, I pray that you would be with them as they go forth. Would you be with this church that is in a place with few gospel churches? May they be a light for the gospel. May they be bold for Christ. May they um, be a part of more churches being planted there. Father, would you give them friendships? Uh, Father, give them deep, close friends who love them and will care for them, who will carry their burdens and they can carry each other's burdens. Father, may you use their sending and their going um, to spur more within our body um, to go forth. May we continue to be a church that sends our people out for the sake of the gospel going forth. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Love you all. All right, if you have your Bibles, take them open to the book of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 5. We're journeying through the book of Acts this year and uh, having a, a lot of fun doing it. As I began reading this passage uh, and studying this passage over the last couple weeks, I was uh, very well aware of this reality. Uh, the book of Acts seems to tell the same story over and over again. I mean, this passage almost feels like the same passage we studied just two weeks ago in chapters three and four. It's, it's the same story over and over again. And that story is, is a story of some miraculous sign taking place by Christ through his apostles, the opposition rising up against them, the crowds coming to believe in Jesus, imprisonment, um, suffering, all of these types of things taking place them being released from prison, and then rejoicing in the goodness of God, praying for more boldness, and then again declaring Jesus. And then again, they're arrested, and they're beaten, and they're imprisoned over and over again. This is the story. It's a story of faithfulness and boldness, and it's a story of um, opposition over and over again. We said just a few weeks ago that the, the, the culture of the book of Acts, the whole book is taking place in a culture and a context of opposition to Jesus. And we're going to see that again today. Over and over again in this passage, we'll see the same thing that we have seen and we'll see the same results coming from it. Repetition isn't like unique to the book of Acts. Uh, we were just talking with a group of people this morning about when we preached through Hebrews and it felt like the same sermon every single week. 35 weeks of, hey, Jesus is better than this. Jesus is better than that. And someone told me, they said, yeah, well, by the end of 35 weeks, we really believe Jesus was better than everything. Right? That's the scriptures over and over again, repeating themselves. As Paul says, I, I have no issue actually saying the same thing again. Right? And, and the idea that we get in scripture is this idea of the same message being given to, to children over and over again. Right? Those of you who are parents realize well the, the importance of repetition with your children. Routine and repetition over and over again to help them understand, to help them um, grow, to help them learn. And that's what the scriptures do for us as God's children. They tell us the same thing over and over again for our growth. And we do this even here at church. We gather every week in repetition, right? We don't just come once a, one time and then we're like, well, that was good. I had a church service. I don't need this anymore. But we come every week and every week we sing songs. And every week we sing songs about Jesus. And every week we confess our sins. And every week we are reminded of grace in Christ, and every week we open the scriptures, and every week we preach the gospel, and every week we take communion, and then every week we leave from here, and we go into the streets, and we gather in houses, and we, we pray for each other, and we care for each other, and we confess to one another, and we carry each other's burdens. Repetition every single week. This is the Christian life. And so with that in mind, allow me to remind us of four points we made two weeks ago from the book of Acts. Four points we made two weeks ago that we're going to see again in this text. The four points were this. 
A community on mission is marked by boldly declaring the resurrected Jesus. Right? A community on mission is marked by boldly declaring the resurrected Jesus. Secondly, a community on mission is marked by ordinary people who have been with Jesus. It's marked by just ordinary people. Scriptures say that they were uneducated, ordinary men. Ordinary people who have been with Jesus. Thirdly, a community on mission is marked by gathering with the people of God. It's marked by gathering with the people of God. You're not a community on mission if you're by yourself. We gathered are the community on mission. And fourth, the community on mission is marked by opposition. Over and over and over again. Now, these four points are going to be seen throughout this text. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to read through the text. We're going to read it in three portions today. And at the end of each portion, we're just going to break that portion apart, explain it, and see some of these points within that. And then we'll end with a charge. So let's look at Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Allow me to remind you where we're at in this context of the story. The disciples or the apostles have been doing miracles. People are being healed. They're proclaiming Jesus. They're being imprisoned. They're being told, don't preach about Jesus. They continue to preach about Jesus. They're being beaten. They have um, now, uh, there's been this growing community of faith. Uh, One man, Barnabas, sold a piece of property, gave all the money to the church to bless everyone. Everyone's giving generously to the church to bless one another. They're caring for each other, loving each other. But then there's this man, this husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira, who sell a piece of property, and they want to get all the same praise accolades that Barnabas got. So they tell the church we sold it for X amount of dollars and they give that amount of dollars to the church when in reality they sold it for a lot more and they're lying to the church and they're lying to God and they're trying to impress when they and themselves are actually living in a place of denial of God. And, and so God actually strikes them dead on the scene. Right there in, in, in the room with the apostles, God just kills both Ananias and Sapphira for lying to him. And Tyler pointed out to us last week the significance of that and just the reality that we think that's unjust, but the reality is all sin earns death. What's actually, what's actually more impressive is that we keep sinning and he doesn't kill us yet, that he gives us grace again today. That's what's impressive about our God. So that's the story where we're picking up. Chapter 5, verse 12. Now, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all gathered together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women, so that, even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So the Christians continued to gather. The church continues to meet together. They're gathering in this place called Solomon's Portico. We saw this last week in the passage. We see it again here. Think of this massive Roman porch with double columns going down both sides. They're meeting in this outdoor porch area, gathering together daily as the church. 
And as they're gathering together, the sick are being brought to them, and they're healing the sick, and they're praying for them. And and people are being healed so much so that people begin to come from all over the place to be healed. And they even bring out their sick, and they lay them in the streets on the pathway of Peter, hoping that Peter's shadow would just pass over them, and they would be healed by his shadow. But this is like crazy, miraculous type of things moving, like movement of God happening in this place. I mean, can you imagine if this was happening today and we had access to things like social media to share about it, how quickly this word would be spreading? And yet here, this is going on, and the word is spreading, and all of Jerusalem is beginning to hear about this and beginning to come. And we see already here at the beginning of this passage, ordinary people who have been with Jesus. I've got to press in as much as I can that these apostles are not like supernatural men, right? They're not demigods. They're they're men like you and I who have fears and doubts and worries and concerns and sins, and yet they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and and Christ is working through them through the power of the Spirit to do miraculous things, and people are coming. Ordinary people who have been with Jesus, They're doing miracles like Jesus did. And they're filled with the power of the Spirit to do to such a degree that even their shadows are healing people. These apostles have been with the triune God, and they are working in the power of the triune God. And the Christians keep gathering together. It's not the first time in this passage we'll see them gathered together. It's not the last time in this passage we'll see them gathered together, but we begin to see they're, they're meeting together every day. It says, many did not dare join them. It's an interesting phrase. Many did not dare join them, but they held them in high esteem. They respected them. This Christian faith, to to all those who are watching, all those outsiders who weren't part of the faith, here's what they're realizing. This is not something you jump in half-hearted. This isn't something you get into if you're like questioning it. This isn't something you just dive into and you're like, "Ah, I think I'll test this out. Right? They see Ananias and Sapphira struck dead, and the end of the passage just before us says, um, an awe, a reverent fear of God spread across everyone. They realize these Christians are working by the power of God, and it's not something to take lightly. And so there's many who won't come join them. They're just like, we don't want to be a part of that. We're not sure yet, and we don't want to play with that. Take that seriously. But at the same time, they held them in high respect. And there's something going on there. There's something different there. There's some kind of power happening there. And it says, more than ever, believers kept being added to their numbers. (laughs) When this says more than ever, I mean, think about what we've already seen. One day Peter preaches and 3,000 come to know Christ. Another time Peter preaches, and it says the number grew to 5,000 men, so probably eight to 10,000 people total are now following Christ. In a matter of days, this thing begins to expand and to grow, and now more than ever, people are coming to the church. So though there's a lot of people who are going, I don't want in on that because that looks scary. I don't know that I can jump in with this whole God striking people dead piece and all these things going on, and they're, they're unsure. There's multitudes who are coming going, I see something here I need to be a part of. I see something here I need to be freed from. I need this Christ that they preach of. And the multitudes are coming. And it says that even people from the towns around Jerusalem were coming to see them, bringing their sick, which means that the gospel is 
spreading, which is fulfillment of Jesus' promises. You will, be, you will receive the power of the Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. The gospel is spreading. What Christ said would happen is happening. And people from outside of Jerusalem are coming in to see the power of this Christ. Chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council all the synod of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, These men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So they take them. They're filled with jealousy, these religious leaders. I mean, think about it. The the people, the masses, the nation of Israel has been coming to these um, Pharisees and these Sadducees and these religious leaders Their whole life, they've been coming to them for answers. They've been coming to them to tell them that they're right with God. They've been coming to them to offer sacrifice. And now there are these new guys on the scene who are preaching that that the answer is not through the doors of the temple, but through the man of Christ. The way to heaven is not through sacrifice of the temple, but through the sacrifice of Christ. And they're calling people to believe that. And people are coming and following that. And miracles are being done and the, the sick are being healed. And from all outside of Jerusalem and all within Jerusalem, people are coming to the apostles, to the Christians, to the church. And these religious leaders are like overcome with jealousy at this. Like the, their attention's being taken away and people are flocking to them. There's a new kid on the block, if you will. And so they're jealous, and they arrest them. They put them in prison. But that night, while they're in prison, an angel comes, and he lets them out. I don't know what it looks like. They don't give us more details. This is one of the points where, like, Luke, you're a historian, right? Give them more information here. Because what we end up seeing is when the morning comes, they wake up and they don't know that these men are even out of prison. And they send guards to the prison to fetch them. And when they get there, they open the doors, which were securely locked, and they go into the prison, and these men aren't there. And they go to the guards who are outside the prison. They go, hey, where'd the men go? And they're like, we don't know. No no one's come in or out. The doors have been locked all night. And somehow the angel appears in the prison, and somehow the angel gets these men out of the prison without anyone knowing what's going on. Patrick Schreiner, one of our pastoral candidates here, has a commentary on, on the book of Acts. And in it, he, he says this. He says, um, uh, he says, the narrator here winks at the audience when he mentions the angel. Because the Sadducees, those ones who are, 
are putting him on trial, the Sadducees didn't even believe in angels. He's like, it's like Luke is winking at them going, hey, and an angel let them out of prison, right? It's ironic that the Sadducees are the ones hearing this news. The angel comes to them, and as he's releasing them, he says, go speak all the words of this life. Come back to that. Go and speak all the words of this life. So the court gathers. They send for them for, for, from prison. They're not there. They know that they've gotten, they don't know how they've gotten out. They're confused. They're wondering what's going on. And while they're confused, someone comes and goes, hey, um, aren't those the guys that were in prison that we don't know where they went? Look, they're right over there in the temple preaching about Jesus, which you told them not to do. And so they go to get them. And I want you to see the boldness of the community on mission. The boldness of the community on mission. Remember, church, that Christ has told them to be his witnesses. Christ sent the Spirit to empower them to be his, his witnesses. They prayed for boldness to be his witnesses. And an angel broke them out of prison and told them to go in boldness and be his witnesses. And their response? To boldly be his witnesses. They're walking in the promise and they're walking in the power and they're walking in the being sent. They're walking in the answer of their prayer and they're going out and they're being his witnesses. They didn't get out of prison and run and hide. They didn't get out of prison and then silence themselves so that they don't get in trouble again. They got out of prison and they talked more boldly about Jesus, more boldly about him. I want to pause here for a moment. And I want us to, to take a moment to notice their boldness and talk about um, Jesus. And I want to point out two things for you here. First, they boldly declared what the passage says is all the words of this life. All the words of this life. Church, the gospel matters. Every piece of it matters. Jesus matters. What we believe about him and what we tell others about him matters. Every piece of it. To withhold the whole truth of Jesus is to withhold all the words of life. What we say about Jesus and what we believe about Jesus matters. So allow me to remind you what we, as the Christian church, believe about Jesus. Let me remind you from the words of the Nicene Creed about Jesus. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten from the Father before all time, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not created, of the same essence as the Father, through whom all things came into being, who for us men and because of our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became human. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. Guys, Jesus is the eternal son of God. The eternal, um, sent by God to redeem mankind. He's the eternal son of God, sent by God to redeem mankind. He never sinned, and he was crucified by Rome, but according to God's eternal plan for our redemption. Jesus was buried and he rose again and then he ascended into heaven where he sits today 
on the throne as king. And one day he will return to judge the living and the dead, and he will reign eternally as king. And in the words of Peter, we saw earlier in this book, there is no salvation outside the name of Jesus. In fact, in the words of Christ himself, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the only way to get to God. All of this matters, church. Every piece of this matters. If you don't believe this, you don't believe in the biblical Jesus. And if you don't believe in the biblical Jesus, then salvation is not yours today. This matters. It matters deeply for your soul. What we believe and what we say about Jesus matters. Matters for your salvation, and when you speak the name of Jesus, it matters that those who hear it are called to true salvation. I saw one person point out this week that the Jews were opposed to Jesus being God. The Romans were opposed to Jesus being king. And the pagans were opposed to Jesus being the only way. Right? The Jews are like, fine, he's a great teacher, he's a great rabbi, but he's not God. The Romans are like, man, he can be a great teacher, great rabbi for you, but he's not our king, Caesar is king. And the pagans are like, man, that's fine that you believe that, just don't tell us we have to believe that. And all it would have took for the opposition to end for these men was for them to begin to fudge on any of those truths, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is king, and that Jesus is the only way. They lighten the opposition by holding back one of those truths or multiple pieces of that truth. And yet they come and they speak all of the words of this life, all of the gospel. Because that's not what they were called to do. They weren't called to preach part of Jesus, the part of Jesus that people can receive. They were called to preach all of Jesus. And Jesus is why people oppose us. Secondly, I want us to see that the disciples were normal people who prayed for boldness to speak the gospel. They were normal people who prayed for boldness to speak the gospel. Normal men like you and I, uneducated, untrained, that they were just normal guys who had fears and they go back after being in prison and they go, we must pray for boldness so we don't quit on what Christ has called us to. And they do, and they're filled with the power of the Spirit to keep proclaiming the gospel. Church, listen, it's easy for me to stand here behind this pulpit and boldly tell you to go be bold out there about Jesus. Right? If I can't be bold behind this pulpit, then that is, that is weak. I'm among God's people in God's place where we're supposed to speak about Jesus. But can we be completely honest? Like when we walk out those doors, you and I alike, let me at least speak for myself, because I, maybe I don't know you outside those doors, but when I go outside those doors, the boldness begins to be a little more timid. Like it's hard to be bold outside those theater doors. And so under conviction throughout this book, I've been praying every day for the Father to give me boldness. Give me boldness as you gave them boldness. Give me opportunity. Help me have boldness to seize the opportunity to share the gospel. And don't you know he does? I was sitting at the cigar lounge with a few men from our church a couple weeks ago, about two weeks ago. We're sitting around, we're spending the day there, and I invited a friend to come over and sit near us that I've been 
talking to for the last couple years there about sports. It's about the depth of our conversation, and um, we've been doing that, and I just had him to sit with us, but then we were all kind of talking church life, and I looked over him at one point, I was like, have you ever heard so much church talk? And he's like, no, it's a foreign language. And, uh, and so, like, that was kind of this little end. All my friends get up, and they leave, and it's just me and him, we're watching, um, watching some basketball, and another guy comes up, and he sits down next to me, and he says, hey, uh, what do you do for a living? It's like, I'm a pastor? And he said, okay. My wife has cancer, and it's her fourth time with cancer, and it doesn't look very good for her. And I, was, I was wondering, and tears are on his cheeks, I was wondering if you could put in a good word for her. All right? That's his understanding. I was wondering if you could put in a good word for her. And so I just heard him, and I I mourned with him, and I recognized the suffering and the pain, and we sat in that for a moment, and then I offered to pray for him there, and he's like, no, I don't want, don't want to pray here. I said, Is, would it bless your wife if I could come over and pray for her and be with you all and, and, and speak to her? And he goes, nope, she, she wouldn't like that. What she doesn't know won't hurt her. You just put in a good word for us. I was like, I'll do that. I'll do that. So he gets up and he walks away. The guy sitting over on the other side of me looks at me and goes, do you get to do that a lot? I was like, more than you know. That's like kind of the nature of my week is to hear what's going on, to pray with people, to encourage people. And, and he goes, man, it was really encouraging the way you did that. I was like, well, thanks. I said, why, why, why do you say that? He goes, well, a few years ago my dad died, and I realized how important it was just to have someone sit with me and not try to fix it, but just to be present with me in the moment. I was like, yeah. I was able to tell him about the story of Job and Job's friends who weren't very present in the moment. I was like, we actually learn a lot from the scriptures on this. And, and one thing led to another, and I ended up asking him about his religious life, and he ended up kind of sharing with me a little bit. And as we began to have conversation, it kind of led to the point where I was like, I'm not sure where he's like at on this journey of, of is he open to talk about this? There were some maybe closed doors, some maybe open. And so I just said, hey, if you ever like want to just talk about Jesus, I'd love to tell you everything I know about Jesus. He thanks. And then he said, Tell me about Jesus. And so we got to have about a 45-minute conversation about Jesus and his struggles to believe in the goodness of God that Jesus would be the only way of salvation. It's just hard to understand that how God could be good if he goes, this is the only way you can make it to heaven. I was able to remind him and point to him that, that if all of us are truly sinners, that it's actually abundant grace that there's any way that anyone can get to heaven. And the message didn't end, the time didn't end with him becoming a believer, and he's here to be baptized this morning and, and all of that. It's a piece of it. Church, I, I, I'm telling you that because of this. Like, I am as afraid to talk about Jesus boldly as you are. Right? Being a professional pastor doesn't make you just professionally bold. Like, I'm timid too. But when you pray and ask God to give you boldness, he does. That's one of four conversations I've had in the last two weeks. The Lord is good to do so. I encourage you, ask him for boldness to speak all the words of this life. So in this story, they go to arrest the men. They're at the temple. They're preaching. They go to arrest them. And when they go to arrest them, they don't take them by force because they're afraid that they're going to be stoned if they do, right? Not, not the men preaching, like, 
the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are afraid they will be stoned if they take these men by force because all the people are following them. Chapter 5, verse 27 through 42. We'll be done shortly. Chapter 5, 27 through 42. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter said, um, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged, and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put these men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before the days of Theudius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them be alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. The apostles are brought back in, they're put on trial, and they say, we thought we told you not to speak about him, but you're filling all of Jerusalem with this teaching, spreading. They say, and you're making us look bad because you're putting his blood on us. They don't even say Jesus' name, they just say the blood of this man you put on us. You're making us look bad. Stop it. And Peter and the apostles speak up. And they say, we have to obey God, not man. Specifically here, they're referring to Jesus, right? God's son, God-man, who says, go be my witnesses. We have to obey him, not you. And they go on and they say, you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And now God has seated him on the throne as leader and savior. They've already said he's God, we're obeying him. Now they're going, he's the king, he's leader and savior. And then they say it's Jesus who gives repentance and forgiveness. Only Jesus who does this. He's the only way. Again, boldly, all the words of this life. And then they say, and we've seen all of this because we've been with him. We were with him when he taught. We were with him when he died. We were with him when he was resurrected. We were with him when he told us to do these things. We've been with him, and now his spirit, they say, is with us. So we must keep proclaiming. The leaders are enraged and they want to kill him. Notice the progression of opposition. 
They've been imprisoned already and released. They've been imprisoned and beaten. They've been imprisoned and escaped. They're now beaten, and now they want to be killed. They're wanting to, to be killed. We're going to see in just two more chapters that this desire to kill them actually grows into the killing of Stephen, the first martyr. And in the killing of Stephen, the church scatters throughout all the earth, and the gospel goes boldly with them. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. In the face of opposition and through the means of opposition, the gospel spreads. The gospel spreads. And here, Gamaliel, one of the most respected teachers of Israel, steps up and he speaks and he shares his wisdom. He says, be careful what you're doing. Theudius led a revolt. He died, and so did his revolt. Judas led a revolt. He died, and so did his revolt. And the implication he has is this. Jesus led a revolt. He died, and so will his revolt. (laughs) But Jesus isn't dead. He died, but he's not dead. And the movement of faith that came from that doesn't end. And it's still not ended today. That's why we're here. It has continued to spread. It's interesting to me that Gamaliel is the mentor and the teacher of a man that we're going to see in a few chapters named Saul of Tarsus. If you're not familiar with the book of Acts, Saul becomes Paul, the apostle who wrote much of our New Testament and took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Saul of Tarsus at this time is a student of Gamaliel's, and he doesn't take Gamaliel's advice. In fact, he begins to kill and imprison Christians. He's even the one who oversees the stoning of Stephen. And Saul realizes through that process that if this is of God, you can't oppose it. You can't stop it. In fact, when Jesus meets him on the road while he's going to kill Christians, Jesus from heaven knocks him off his horse with a great light, blinds him, and speaks to him. And he says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, whom you are opposing. Now come, follow me. I'll show you how much you must suffer for me. Gamaliel spoke much truth though he wasn't even a follower of Christ. So they beat them severely, and they sent them away to speak of Jesus no more. And you would think that these disciples, these apostles, would leave griping, complaining, sad, maybe quitting, but they leave rejoicing that they were able to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Rejoicing that they were able to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. It is better to suffer dishonor for Jesus than to receive the praise of this world. It's better to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus than to receive the praise of this world. And every day, the church continued meeting in the temple and house to house, it says. So what do we do with this today? We do the same thing that the apostles did and the same thing that the church has done throughout all of history and the same thing that we are doing today. We look to Jesus in faith and cling to salvation in him alone. We hold that Jesus is more valuable than, the, uh, than all that the world has to offer. We continue to gather together as the church in all of her messiness and all of her brokenness and all of the problems that the church has, we continue to gather together. We'll learn more about those problems next week in the text. 
And we still keep meeting together in grace, following Christ together. We meet together to hear the scriptures. We meet together to confess our sins. We meet together to spur one another on to godliness. We meet together to encourage each other forward. We meet together to um, carry one another's burdens. And we meet together to pray for boldness. And then we continue to tell people about Jesus. We do this again and again and again in the face of opposition until we die or the Lord returns. This is what we do. So today, as we come to the table, the end of our time in the words, as we always do, come to the table for communion, we get to actually come and have an expression of boldly declaring Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as King, Jesus as God. Those who come and take this do so with the profession having been made, I believe Jesus is God. I believe I need him for forgiveness of my sins. I believe he is king and returning. We do this as a profession of that over and over again each week. And so if you're a follower of Christ, if you've made that profession, then in a moment I'll invite you to come forward and take. You'll stand, you'll exit to your right and come forward. We start at the beginning of the room, move to the back. So you'll come forward, you'll receive hand sanitizer, bread and juice. And we ask you to go back to your seat to take that. We'll conclude with one song this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in this biblical Jesus we've looked at today, then here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that you would trust Jesus today, that you would place your faith in him. And we would ask you not to come take this. To you, this would just be bread and juice with no meaning, but instead to stay in your seat and to cry out to Jesus, I take you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. I'll trust you, Jesus, for my salvation. And if you want to talk about that, I'll be down front after the service. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these people who have heard it. I pray, Spirit, that you would empower upon their hearts the truth of your word, that you would give them power to boldly proclaim, that you would give them boldness of faith, that you would send us forth as a community on mission, for the name of Christ, for the glory of Christ, for the salvation of those that we would share with. And Father, we pray that you would save. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.